0: Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A special hello to all of you, catching us on one of our affiliate stations, the podcast of CoursesShow.com, those of you who uh, check us out on the YouTube channel, which is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already done so. And those of you who take the show with you uh, using uh, our app on your mobile device, the Conspiracy Show app, free download. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcome, and I uh, thank you for your fine company. Dr. Gary Chang from Redeemer University in Ancaster, Ontario, stays with us. And uh, we continue to delve into the most studied artifact in human history, the Holy Shroud of Turin, a genuine artifact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before the break, we were talking about the image on the shroud. And not only is it a negative image, it also contains three-dimensional information. So what does that mean exactly? How do we know that?
1: We know that because uh, there are two things you can do with this. Computer technology has really advanced since the 1970s, but in the 1970s there was a special uh, type of image analyzer called a VP8, and this image analyzer actually took electronic information from uh, the sat- from the uh, space probes that were sent out into space. And uh, they could then take that electronic information, send it back to Earth, and this VP8 analyzer was able to make a three-dimensional image from it uh, because of the uh, information, the electronic information that was sent back. So keep in mind that the VP8 is taking electronic information that has within it uh, three-dimensional information. So it's not taking a picture. Instead, it's taking information about what the sa- about what the probe sees and converts it into a picture. So you cannot take a VP8 analyzer and put into it the picture any any picture uh, and s- expect to see it analyze and duplicate it as what that picture is. It's always distorted.
0: Right. In other words, a a photograph or a a painting is two-dimensional. It only has two-dimensional information. So
1: we we can see a photograph, and we know from our experience what depth is, and so we can interpret the photograph as we interpret the world around us. But there's only one photograph that's ever been created that actually you put through a VP8 analyzer, and it comes out with a three-dimensional image of the human being. And that's the picture on the shroud. Uh,
0: so that would strongly suggest that, at the moment that that image was transferred
1: mm-hmm.
0: onto the linen cloth, mm-hmm. it had to be draped over a three-dimensional
1: object or well, it's, body. It, it's more than that. This is what people don't realize: um, the picture on the shroud. Because when you take take a look at when you take a look at the negative, okay, which is now the positive you can see this picture of a man. Okay? So you can see that, all right? It's a picture, and you can see it's a picture of a man, and so it had to have been draped over a cloth. Okay, That you can see. But what you can't do is that you can't take that picture, if it were really a picture, and put it through a VP8 analyzer and come out with a three-dimensional image.
0: Right, it would be distorted.
1: It, it would be distorted, but it's not distorted. So this is more than a photograph and that's what people don't realize uh... for example there was a uh... picnic at prince a few years ago claimed that Leonardo da Vinci using a crude type of photography was able to create this image on the cloth in the negative that can't happen because it's not really a photograph it's got photographic properties but it's really a packed full of technical information that can be used to create a three-dimensional image.
0: Now, I don't uh, recall whether you, you, you delved into this in, in your book, The Holy Shroud of Turin, and we should point out um, that this book is available. Uh, you can order it. Just go to www.custance.org www.custance, Custance, Dot .org and that's uh, the Arthur Custance Center for Science and Christianity again it's www.custance.org c u s t a n c e um not only does the image is the image does the image contain three dimensional information mm-hmm. but it also the way the hair falls mm-hmm. uh the um, uh the way that the skin is hanging on the body it's not Uh, sort of squished down as if it's lying flat on a surface. Mm -hmm. It suggests that the image was hovering in a vertical position Mm -hmm. when the image was transferred from the body onto the cloth.
1: Yeah, There are two explanations for that. One is the hovering explanation, which is uh, promoted by a physicist in Europe, and that's a more recent one. Uh, Another is uh, Jackson's suggestion that as the body uh, dematerialized, the cloth fell through the body. And that would give the same explanation. Hmm. So, I mean, what we don't know, well, I mean, what you are doing right now is we're speculating. Okay, we are saying, okay, it is real. So, therefore, let's speculate as how it could have been created. Now I just wish that people could get past that so that they we can do this, but most people can't even get to the point of saying it's real
0: right, despite uh the overwhelming forensic evidence yes. the anatomical evidence yeah even uh uh the field of botany uh, mm-hmm. enters into this uh, because well, tell us about the pollen samples
1: well, the pollen samples unfortunately uh is really now lost information because the person who was dealing with all that died before he could get everything together which was unfortunate but what he claimed and this is the problem we can't actually verify what he claimed but he was a well-known forensic scientist uh, this max fry and he said he found pollen grains on it that could only come from the desert region in palestine and were not present in medieval Europe, and so he, that was one of the claim one of the uh, evidences or forensic evidence to indicate its authenticity.
0: And uh, when the body was anointed, mm-hmm. when Jesus was laid to rest in the tomb, the burial tomb, and was anointed, yeah, um, were there. Flowers and and certain herbs placed inside the shroud with the body that match those pollen samples?
1: Um, I'm not sure about that. He wasn't really the the notion of flowers on the body came about as a result of someone taking the Giuseppe photograph and seeing some type of flower pattern on the uh, image. Um, But in many cases, um, I mean, some people uh, believe that, uh, but that was long after Max Fry had done his pollen work. Uh, But I have, you know, now that I have access to an exact replica, I've tried to duplicate the same area and looked at in the negative where these, these, these petals are supposed to be. I don't see that. So it's actually the result of the type of, uh, you know chance uh, chance precipitation of the silver grains uh, in the giuseppe negative that, that gives the impression that oh yeah this could be uh, flowers or these could be coins over his eye when you actually take the the uh, the uh, replica and and I take pictures of it and i and i inverse it uh, I don't see it so um, those have been used as sort of corroborative evidence that the shrouds real but it's mm, uh, it's really uh a bit weak
0: um I, I want to dial back just for a moment uh, uh, to the forensics mm-hmm. um because this is also significant uh a, a, according to the the uh roman custom of crucifixion or the, the b- barbaric practice of crucifixion mm-hmm. um in order to hasten the death yeah. of the the victims they would they would uh break the leg that's right Uh, so that the legs could no longer support the weight of the body Mm -hmm. and then the person would essentially just sort of suffocate and and, and drown. Exactly. Um, What is significant about the image on the shroud as it pertains to that particular aspect of crucifixion?
1: Well, the image on the shroud would suggest that there are no broken limbs. And so his legs were not broken. And that also coincides with the in the side that the Roman uh, soldier put in to see if Christ was dead. Again, this all stems from Pilate not believing Jesus was dead yet. And what the number of people don't realize is that if Jesus uh, were to have died because of crucifixion, he would not have been dead yet. It w- he would probably have to have his legs broken uh, or, the, or the spear would have, would have killed him. Okay, so, so, um, But he was already dead long before they believed he should have died. And what people don't realize is that crucifixion did not kill Jesus. Jesus willingly gave up his life.
0: Interesting, interesting. I'm guessing, I'm speculating here, that they have been able to identify the bones, for example, of of the victims of Roman crucifixion, and invariably the legs would have been broken.
1: Well, again, I'm not sure if they've been able to do that, but they know that was one of the ways that you would hasten death in order for the the victim would die and they can take him down before nightfall.
0: Right, and the fact that the image, the man on this cloth did not have his legs broken, that, again, lines up with the the account in the Gospel.
1: Well, the the other point is that people say, okay, let's let's say that this is a real burial cloth, okay? Uh, Let's say that it is at the time of Christ, okay? Let's just give them that. How do you know it's Christ? Well, there's so many things that coincide with the gospel accounts, that the chances of it not being Christ is very, very low.
0: All right. We'll uh, step away again momentarily and continue. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are back with Dr. Gary Chang from Redeemer University, the author of The Holy Shroud of Turin. And again, if you'd like to pick up a copy, uh, go to www.Custance.org and Custance is C-U-S-T-A-N-C-E C-U-S-T-A-N-C-E.org and that's the Arthur Custance Center for Science and Christianity. And uh, just go onto the menu and there's a uh, an online um, a bookstore. Uh, and we've also linked up to that uh, on my website. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and go to the radio page. And uh, you'll find Dr. Cheng's name there under our guest. And just click on that. That'll take you right to the, uh, the book. All right. We've been talking about forensics. We've talked about anatomy. We've talked about the historical record. We've talked about the accounts in the gospel, all pointing to this being the actual burial cloth of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And you were mentioning that people might say, okay, so it's from the first century A.D. So it's the image of a crucifixion victim. Why does it have to be Jesus Christ? Let's say, for example, and I believe someone has suggested this, someone took a dead body. Right. They actually put it through the rigors of a crucifixion, and then they laid it on this cloth.
1: First of all, the person had to be alive or else it wouldn't show up the, what showed up on, on Christ. It, the person would have actually had to be killed by crucifixion, which is not a nice thing to do. No,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> There's something else in terms of corroborating evidence. Mm-hmm. And in the Gospel accounts, they place kind of a napkin, a cloth napkin, yeah. over the head of Jesus while he's still on the cross, just before right. they take him down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Talk to me about the significance of this folded napkin.
1: Okay. Uh, you did read that part of the book? Yes. <laughs> To me, that was probably the most fascinating thing that dawned on me. In, again, the Gospel of John, which gives you the, the most detail of what happened uh, at and after the crucifixion, suggesting that John himself was part of all this, what it states there when they came back on Easter morning and found that the tomb was empty is that John mentions that the napkin or face cloth he found folded and put to the side. But the grave clothes were still left there. He made special mention of that, which has always puzzled people. Why would John make mention of that? Well, there are a number of reasons that people have given, and one of the reasons, believe it or not, is that, and this is believed by a, a number of Protestant Christians, is that John was telling people that the shroud was a fake, (laughs) believe it or not. Hmm. And so this was something that's always been a bit of a hurdle for me when I'm trying to convey to Christians, Protestants primarily, Catholics have no problem with it. (laughs) But Protestants, that, you know, this is the actual real thing. Well, what they say about this napkin is that the napkin was supposed to be put over Jesus' head. And it's very typical when you're taking the body down from the cross, you're going to wrap the head with this cloth because you don't want to look at the face of a dead person. And then the body is wrapped, and then it's taken and, and buried. And so what is not mentioned in the Gospels is what happened when they brought this body, and they were in a real hurry, okay, and they brought this body to this Temporary tomb. He was not going to stay there. They're going to move the body, in all likelihood, to the family tomb. Who knows? Maybe he would have been taken to the tomb that they put Lazarus in. And so this was all just preliminary. This was all temporary. The wrappings and everything was all temporary, and all that was done at the foot of the cross, even before they moved the body. Now, that's one of the things I thought was interesting, is that I always thought the body was wrapped in the tomb but the body wasn't wrapped in the tomb. It was wrapped at the foot of the cross. Then it was taken to the tomb. Okay? If the body stayed wrapped, we would not have the image on the cloth. So if the cloth, if the shroud is real, that body had to have been unwrapped at the tomb. And it had to be left there, waiting for it to be re-wrapped when the women came back later on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that, that the body was actually unwrapped by the men and laid across this cloth in order and in such a state that the women could come back in and rewrap it properly. Right. So what had happened is that I believe John took the cloth off the head and folded it and put it to one side. Of course, it had to stay in the tomb because it had blood on it. So anything that was associated with the victim had to stay with the victim. And so John put this head cloth, and he put it to one side. And when he came back at the resurrection morning, he saw this cloth still to one side, and he makes special mention of it. Now, many Protestant Christians say that that cloth was on Christ when he resurrected, and that's the mistake they're making it wasn't on christ it had already been removed right but they say it was on christ if it's on christ then there shouldn't be the image of the head on the shroud and that's why they claim the shroud's not real
0: all right now this napkin did this not show up in the north of spain
1: they've got the napkin right is in aviedo aviedo <laughs> again the sudarium the- of aviedo yes that's right and it's in spain and it's dated it has documentation all the way back to 600. So they've got actual documentation that this cloth was there at the, at the year 600. And it's claimed to have been the cloth that wrapped the head of Christ. It came, claims to have been that napkin. And they've done forensic studies on that cloth. It's got blood on it, and it's got a blood pattern that is consistent with the wounds we see on the face of On the shroud. Mm.
0: There you go. All right. Uh, Further corroborating evidence. Mm -hmm. We haven't touched on this. I mentioned it near the beginning of the program, and that is the carbon-14 dating conducted in 1988. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes.
0: Which, according to the carbon-14 analysis, that placed the shroud somewhere in the 13th century.
1: Right. 1200 to thirteen ninety something.
0: But there's a problem with the way that dating that carbon dating test was conducted. Talk to me about that.
1: Oh, um, that is fascinating um, because even people who have no understanding of the shroud, um, but do know about carbon dating, they in the history of carbon dating, they even have a chapter on dating the shroud of turn <laughs> hmm. because that's how significant dating the shroud was, and they now realize and are saying that the results were overstated. The problem with carbon-14 dating is that there's some variables that you can never account for, and so whenever an artifact is dated by carbon-14, you also have to have cooperating archaeological evidence before they will accept the carbon-14 dating. And what was very unusual about what happened with the shroud is that the carbon-14 dating was the only piece of scientific information that did not uh, corroborate the shroud. So if you have got a sea, an ocean of positive uh, results, and you got one little drop which is negative, You, as a scientist and as any level-headed person, you would question that negative result. But that did not happen. Instead, that negative result completely overtook anything else that was ever done. It wasn't until 2005 that they found out why it did not agree with all the other evidence. And the simple answer is, They did not follow protocol. They did not follow the planned procedure that was agreed by everybody. Instead, the two people left that that had the uh, responsibility of cutting the cloth did not cut where they were supposed to. In fact, they argued for almost two hours while people were waiting for them to cut it until finally someone cut it. And they took the sample from the worst possible place you could ever take it. It was taken from a piece that was damaged, that was already ripped from a previous uh, sample taken, and in hindsight, they actually took it from a piece that was a rewoven, mended area that was rewoven back in medieval Europe.
0: Because the, the shroud had been damaged in a fire.
1: Oh, that didn't... That, that, that has wasn't no, the, no bearing that on it? Wasn't, this was the wear and tear of it when people were holding it.
0: Okay, but it they...
1: It was along the edge.
0: But it was a patch job.
1: It was a patch job, but it was a very, very good patch job. In fact, what they had done, and this, <laughs> the, the, the people who were doing it, when they, they patched it, they did not use pure linen, because linen will not stain. And so you can't dye it. And so what they did is they mixed it with cotton. There's no cotton on the cloth except at this area. And they mixed it with cotton, and they stained it to look like old, and they put a mordant on it to fix the stain. That, those chemicals appear nowhere else on the shroud.
0: Ah. And are we expecting further carbon-14 dating to be conducted on an appropriate section of the shroud at any point?
1: No. And the reason for this is that in 2002, the Vatican uh, permitted in secrecy a complete restoration of the shroud, at which point, even though the textile experts who cleaned, completely cleaned it and completely restored it, they removed wrinkles, they removed marks, (laughs) uh, and they made it whiter, uh, and now it's stored, it's not folded, it's actually stored, splayed out in a huge, um, glass enclosed case, uh, which is, uh, which has inert gas in it. Essentially, when that was done, that removed the shroud from any more physical examination because any physical examination could always be argued, for instance, that if there's too much carbon-14, you added it to it when you re- preserved it, or if there's not enough carbon fourteen, then you got rid of it when you preserved it.
0: uh, we've got about two minutes before we head into another break here yeah um have they been is the is the DNA in the blood on the shroud intact? Could they test the mitochondrial and the nuclear DNA No, no,
1: and if they did, I would be suspect i would <laughs> yeah.
0: Because the, if they could, the mitochondrial DNA should show. Obviously, that that would show the the maternal side, the mother. That would would be Semitic.
1: But then they, there's there's a problem with mitochondrial DNA, and we can't get into that okay. now. That's my other book.
0: All right, but the, <laughs> but but here's the interesting point, though. The nuclear DNA would have to be undetermined because, <laughs> you know, he didn't come from. He wasn't fathered by
1: man, right? Well, so. we don't. He he was still fathered. <laughs> there still had to be something that triggered the um, the development process from the zygote.
0: Ah, okay. Let's uh, take another time out, come back. Okay. More to come on the Holy Shroud of Turn with Dr. Gary Chang from Redeemer University. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Dr. Gary Chang from Redeemer University, the Holy Shroud of Turin, a genuine artifact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And um, again, if you'd like to uh, order a copy, you can go to the website www.custance.org, C-U-S-T-A-N-C-E.org. That stands for Arthur Custance, the Arthur Custance Center for Science and Christianity. How is this book being welcomed by your peers? And I don't mean necessarily your peers at Redeemer University, which mm-hmm. is a Christian university, mm-hmm. but other your other peers in the scientific community.
1: Well, it's interesting. This book is uh, what you actually have as is a, is a sort of a pre-publication copy, and that's what we're selling right now. Uh, and uh, I do have someone in Florida who's looking at promoting it uh, in, uh, in, in a large way. Uh, but it has, believe it or not, a lot of people have ordered it because of the interest. And um, I'm getting a, a lot of very positive um, feedback. Again, it's, people are divided into two groups. You know, those who want to believe, and those who want to believe really think this is a fantastic way of looking at it.
0: What role does this artifact, this relic, mm-hmm. have in your faith? At the time, you said in the 90s you hadn't really heard of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I'm not sure where you were in, in terms of your spiritual development at that point.
1: I'm a bit unusual, although I don't think I'm all that unusual. My spiritual experience came alive when I was about 14, when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. Mm long before I knew any theological reason why it shouldn't happen. <laughs> right. And that my that just brought it alive. It's like I knew about Christ, but now Christ was in me. It was just fantastic. And anyone who's experienced that, I think people in the Alpha program, that's a very familiar program that people go to these days. The Alpha program, they actually get, you know, ref- uh, you know, very staid Presbyterian Anglican people actually speaking in tongues and jumping up and down for joy. It's, it's not something that the Pentecostals will have monopoly over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's really awoken my spirituality. Uh, and I've had absolutely, and I say absolutely, no doubt whatsoever in my assured salvation through Jesus Christ and my personal uh, experience with the Holy Spirit and the spiritual world uh so, with that, I went into science, and some people think you know science is going, is a different type of way- different way of looking at things, but for me, it just made my spiritual experience even more astounding and um and when I saw this cloth and I started looking at it um it does not in a sense it 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 really if it were fake, it would not affect me okay but it's not fake, <laughs> and it has it's a really exciting thing to look at and to wonder about and to now try to envision what does it mean then for us to become uh, like Christ. Uh, are we going to change like he did? Are we going to have physical bodies like he did after the resurrection? I think we are. And I think this is just the beginning of the whole, whole experience that's just going to last forever. Uh, so for me, it's fantastic.
0: Why doesn't the Vatican make a bigger deal about the Shroud of Turin? They, they don't really come out and say this is the actual burial cloth.
1: Because many of them don't believe it is. Oh, really? It's- yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like like I just talked to you about my experience with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. I know Christians who, who think that's from the devil. Right. Okay, so, right. you know, everyone's different. And God deals with people in different ways and with me this is how he dealt with me i just think the shroud is real i think it's uh, it's the gospel message i think it's god's love to us and uh, quite frankly you know uh, islam doesn't get it
0: <laughs> right right um we just got about a minute and a half here i want to ask you a couple of quick questions one that has been a stumbling block for many people uh, is the um, in the Bible no detailed description of what Jesus looked like mm-hmm. I, I think it refers you know that he wasn't he wasn't an extraordinary looking no. individual but the figure on the shroud would appear to be somewhere in the neighborhood of five foot eleven maybe six feet
1: uh, I've heard that complaint before. Uh, and the answer to that is that it was the uh, average height at that time.
0: It was. Okay. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> All right. And then secondly, very quickly before we head into the break, the length of his hair. We know yeah. that that uh, that, uh Paul uh, Paul talked about long hair on men yep. being an abomination. Mm-hmm. Yet this figure has long shoulder-length hair.
1: Yeah. That's because Jesus wasn't a Christian.
0: Uh-huh. All he was a Jew. True.
1: He had long hair. Jews have long hair. There you go. All right. yeah. <laughs>
0: Thank you for tidying that up for okay. me because that's been a, <laughs> that's been a stickler, a stickling point for me as well. All right. We'll uh, take another time. I'll come back and we'll talk about the energy burst. Okay. This is the physical evidence for an actual resurrection event, uh, that is recorded and coded on this particular piece of linen cloth, the holy shroud of turn with Dr. Gary Chang back with more in a moment here on the conspiracy show.
1: Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind.
0: On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are into the home stretch with Dr. Gary Chang from mm-hmm. Redeemer University in Ancaster, Ontario. And uh, the book, The Holy Shroud of Turin, A Genuine Artifact of the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can get a copy at www.Custance.org. C-U-S-T-A-N-C-E org. All right. This is uh, where the rubber meets the road, really, and why this is not just any figure uh, image uh, on, on the shroud. And that is, it also answers the question, how did the image get on the shroud? And uh, you talk about an energy burst being yeah. responsible. Tell me more about this.
1: Well, the way the image is created, or the characteristics of the image, first of all, it's a negative negatives are created when a burst of light or burst of energy causes a burn mark of some sort. And so you get your negative. It also has on it three-dimensional information encoded within it. So it's not the type of burst of energy that we have any comprehension of. It is now extending beyond even the borders of physics. So, in fact, to me... We are now getting to looking at really cosmology and the creation of the universe to begin with. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the Big Bang Theory has only been accepted more recently. The Big Bang has a lot of problems with it still, and yet a lot of people think it's it's the gospel truth, um, but again, it, it doesn't answer everything. So. What we've got in this case now is the actual physical evidence of something that could have happened when creation first occurred. So that, I think, is certainly worth looking into. But how did this image burst? Why would it happen? Well, in order to explain, at least from my perspective, I have to look at it both theologically and biologically. And so there are a number of assumptions I make that I say must be true. And essentially, to, to narrow it right down to the crux of the matter, I believe the body that Jesus had was free of sin, whatever that sin might have been, was free of sin. That's why he had to be a virgin birth, because anyone who's fathered by a male will not be free of sin. Okay? So sin travels through the sperm. Uh, So Jesus was not, uh, his body was initiated by the Holy Spirit, so he was free of sin. But the development of that body was a result of consuming molecules and atoms and nutrients from a world that was sinful. And so Jesus Christ, although he was without sin, his body was made up of things that were essentially confined to this Sinful world, that was overcome by His willingness to die on the cross. Again, a number of things people don't. Well, one of the things people don't realize is Jesus Christ was not just the Son of God. Jesus Christ was God. In fact, some of His disciples left Him when He said that. Right. right. <laughs> okay. So that's a sticking point. It's even a sticky point for some Christians. But Jesus Christ. The body of God was lying in the tomb, he overcame the effects of sin, and when life returned to that body, it allowed the atoms of that body to now reconfigure, to now have a, uh, not only a, a morally sinless body, but a physically sinless body. And that change occurred at the very level of the very particle that that essentially links us with the supernatural world, and it created a burst of energy that not only singed the cloth, but imparted to it three-dimensional information.
0: And in order for this 3D information uh, to be on the cloth, mm-hmm. without distortion, mm-hmm. any... Is there any indication where this energy burst would emanate from? What part of the body? Would it be it from was, every molecule <clears> in the body? It,
1: it was very short distance, or else you would see the inside of his body as well. It was very light, or the entire image would have been blackened. <laughs> so it would probably emanate it from every single um, molecule of his body, but of course only the surface ones, Had the uh, the uh, energy reach out far enough to create the image?
0: Is there anything, um, anything that we can any way we can reproduce something like this in a laboratory?
1: I think the closest we can get is holograms. Holograms. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a holographic image.
0: Explain what that means. The significance of that.
1: Oh, it, well, for one thing, it could never have been painted. Right, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least, right. It could never have been painted. Uh, for me, Jesus Christ and the spiritual world uh, is not just up there, it's right here with us. And, and things can flip in and out between the spiritual and the physical. And, and when it, that happens, there's often bright light associated with it. So when Jesus was on the mountain, he was transfigured. What did they describe? A very bright light. They couldn't even look at his face. When Moses was communicating with God on the mountain, it was a bright light. And when Moses came down, his interaction with God, the spiritual, his interaction, his his face glowed so much, they asked him to cover it.
0: Right, right.
1: So there is a physical link. Between the spiritual or we call it the spiritual but it's really the invisible world that is behind the visible world
0: I I want to go back to the holographic image Mm -hmm. my very limited understanding of a holograph is if you were to take a a, a, cut a little tiny piece of a holographic image Mm
1: -hmm.
0: all of the information in that little tiny piece or all of the information of the entire image is contained in that little piece. It doesn't matter how many times you cut that the whole image into tiny pieces. All of the information of the whole is contained in each tiny piece.
1: Well, that's interesting. i am not really. <laughs> I, I mentioned holograph because it looks like a holograph. Mm. Uh, in fact, if you got a copy of my book,
0: yes, right
1: uh, and you look at the front cover, yes, it's. I, that's a picture of my replica, taken ah. taken at an angle. And you notice that it's very different to the picture face-on. Right. It it has a three-dimensional depth to it.
0: Even when presented in a two-dimensional format. Right. That is astounding. Was there some type of radiation associated with this resurrection event?
1: Yes, there would have been some sort of radiant energy that was transmitted from the body because... Uh, that's the only way you can explain the image on the cloth. But this radiation would have probably been in no way related to the way we understand radioactivity today. Uh,
0: Would there have been some sort of, um, I don't know, nuclear uh, reaction, like a a fusion type um,
1: I would say probably not, because as soon as you start, Describing it in that fashion, you're describing radiation in the terms that we understand radiation to be. And uh, but what we're probably looking at is something that has been described by many people, also described in scripture, where uh, when any encounter with the Almighty God in this physical world, there's always some sort of radiation or light or energy associated with it. Uh, the, the Mount Transfiguration, when Jesus changed into something uh, changed into a a glowing figure that they had to cover their eyes or the time when moses came down from the mountain after he'd been in direct contact with god his face glowed so much they asked they asked him to cover it so there is some type of interaction between the non-physical world and the physical world
0: okay um would this radiation be measurable could there be remnants of this radiation still in the tomb still on the shroud
1: probably not if uh, i think it was very short lived i think that and the reason why the image on the shroud is is as uh, pristine or as uh, focused as it is is because it was a very quick flash and dissipated uh, right away
0: all right so uh there's no more opportunity to test the shroud. As you have said, the Vatican essentially uh, uh, sealed it, so there will be no more carbon-14 dating. Uh, is there anything, then, left to be to be learned about the shroud?
1: Well, I think what we need to learn now is more about this image. Um, the, it's the image on the shroud that authenticates it. It's not the cloth that authenticates it. Um, And and quite frankly, the carbon-14 is just one way of dating. They've actually used other ways of dating the fibers and found that they're as old as they should be. Okay, again, carbon-14 was done on a piece of cloth that was actually put into the shroud uh, in the medieval England. So the carbon-14 was correct. They just used the wrong sample. Um, But there are... uh, I believe a a whole way of looking at the world differently. Right now, science has really confined themselves to what we see, to what we believe to be the physical world. And they have actively prevented anything spiritual to come into it. And I think when scientists start to realize that there is a spiritual component to living matter then we'll start to look at the universe differently. And I think it will be a complete change in worldview, and I think it would advance science considerably. Uh, Are
0: there many other scientists like yourself? Your background, again, is in in biology. Mm -hmm. You have a Ph.D. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there other scientists that uh, are like-minded, that believe uh, that the Shroud is the genuine article?
1: There are scientists who believe the Shroud is genuine, uh, but I'm the only one I know of who is still actually a practicing scientist. Uh, a lot are retired, a lot are from the, um, the physical sciences or the nuclear sciences. Uh, I'm the one who's brought in both the biology and the theology and the Shroud, and, and that is what's made a big difference. Uh, we are biological beings, and yet we are made in the image of God. And I truly believe that when Adam was created, he was not to—he um, was created not to sin, and uh, he was created to become like God. And in fact, that's what Jesus said we would be. And I think that's what this. Entire experiment has been, and that is to make us, you know, the sons and daughters of God, and we're going to be that for eternity.
0: Uh, I am. I'm trying to remember the um, the uh, the name of the uh, author I interviewed a number of years ago. He may have been my first guest as I sort of began this journey into investigating mm-hmm. the shroud. Uh, he's um, he's an attorney, and mm-hmm. um, uh, his name escapes me. But he started out again, trying to disprove that the Shroud was authentic. He was an avowed uh, agnostic or atheist. And uh-huh. then and after studying it, he became a Christian. Because yeah. he... This is... Uh, I'm, and I'm learning this is fairly <laughs> fairly it, common.
1: It is very common. In fact, all the... I was told by word of mouth, by Thaddeus Trennegan, that all the uh, scientists who went to uh, Turin to study the Shroud... Uh, I think like 20 out of 22 or something he gave. He said uh, most of them were agnostic, and they came back believers.
0: Unbelievable. And the Holy Shroud of Turin, a genuine artifact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dr. Gary Chang, thank you so much for
1: this. Well thank you,
0: Richard. And again, you can order the book at C U S T A N C E Dot .org that's it for us my thanks to Ian Robertson back next week with a brand new program Don Jeffries Survival of the Richest until then so long move over Aphrodite I'm coming home